We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. So good to see all of you here. Thankful for each one of you. Uh, after we're through tonight, I'd love to say hello to anyone. It is uh, so good to have you here. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. And I want to go ahead and read the passage all together. This is a very familiar passage probably to you because it's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, there's something uh, that is so beautiful about this passage here. It's, all, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 5,000 uh, is recorded in all four of the Gospels. We know there was a feeding of the 4,000 later on, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But in the, the Gospel of Mark, I want to talk with you about, and if you take down notes, this is a night to take down notes. Uh, Tommy said this morning he hates lists, but I'm going to give you seven things, you remember? So I hate lists, but I'm going to give you 12 things. And uh, the last time I did that, I left one out. So uh, somebody just stop me if I, if I skip 10, 9, or whatever. But there are really, and there's more than this, but there are 12 keys, and we'll go through them quickly, 12 keys to ministry. It doesn't matter whether you're working with the Littles in Children's Learning Center or Senior Life, the, the legacy ministry with our older folks. It doesn't matter if you're working with youth, uh, young adults, no matter, men, women, children, there are 12 keys that are vital to effective ministry. In fact, I would go as far as to say that if you can look at any ministry anywhere in any church that God is blessing and he is doing his work through that ministry, changing people's lives, bringing people to himself, discipling and growing people up, you'll find these things present there. That's how clear this is. Let me read to you Mark chapter 6 beginning with verse 30 please. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. They reported uh, to him all that they had done and taught. You remember he had sent them away last week. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Jesus not only knew and was careful to show them their spiritual needs, but he knew what they needed physically also. For there were many people coming and going that they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves and the people saw them going. And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Jesus and the disciples can't even get away to rest. They can't get to a secluded place because somebody says he's over here and the crowds run after them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. He commanded them, all to sit down by groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Another gospel tells us, besides the women and children. 
So there was a large, large crowd gathered to, together that day. Jesus went with his disciples to rest a little while and they found him. Didn't have time to rest. And he began to teach them as he often did in, in parables. He taught them in life lessons. And in this story of one of the miracles that Jesus is going to do is sitting keys to ministry. I don't care if you're a pastor or a teacher. I don't care if you're a lay person that works in any type of ministry. It could be small groups, Bible studies. It could be uh, at vision ministry. It could be anywhere. But God will be doing these things in an effective ministry. And I know you'll see those things. Before we uh, begin looking at those keys, I want to ask you to remember a verse with me. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said these words. I also say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You're probably familiar with that, that verse, aren't you? I wanted to talk with you for a second about that. Jesus said, I will build my church. I want you to notice what he did not say. He did not say, you will build my church. If we think ministers, pastors, evangelists, teachers, leaders in the church or church members, if we think we're gonna usher in the kingdom, we're gonna build the church and God's just gonna come with his good housekeeping stance of approval and go, done, we're wrong. Jesus said, I, so that means I, personal pronoun speaking about Jesus himself. He didn't say, Mike, you build my church or you build my church or you build my church. I, secondly, he said, I will. There's sometimes in the scripture, he said, I might, I may, I could, but this is a positive affirmation. I will. And we can take great confidence in that. No matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens in personal lives, Jesus is still going to do what he said he would do. I will. Affirmative. Positive. It cannot fail because Christ said, I will build. Now, he could have just said, I have the thought created it, spoke it into being, but that word build means that there's work to be done. It's gonna be a progression. It's gonna be a work that we find out later in the scripture that Jesus said he's gonna involve human instruments. Isn't that an amazing thing? He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. We working with Christ, begging people to be saved. We are invited into that ministry. That's why the title of this message tonight is, it's a borrowed ministry. If somebody says, well, how many people are in your ministry? Tell them none, because it's Christ's ministry. I will build your church. It's not what he said, is it? But we can get caught up in that. Have you ever known somebody said, Jesus is building my church. He's building our church. Jesus said, I, him, will, positive uh, affirmation, build, there's gonna be work involved, my, another personal pronoun, Jesus is not building our church. He didn't build Billy Graham's church. He's not building Tommy's church. He's not building my church, your church. He said, I will build my, Jesus's church. The scripture tells us in the New Testament, Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And then finally he said, I will build my church. He didn't say I'll build an entertainment center. I didn't, I'm not gonna build a, a family life uh, fun group for the, the, uh, uh, during the week, those things can be fine. But Jesus is about building his church, the ecclesia, the gathering together of the saints of God, the community and the fellowship of God. So I just want to remind you of that verse. I know you're very familiar with it. Uh, the setting of this 
passage is John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Last week was a pretty tough sermon, wasn't it? Uh, I've hardly ever heard any pastor preach on uh, that passage we looked at last week. It's pretty, it's pretty tough, but it's real. Jesus is sad. He is very sad. And that's one of the reasons why he wanted to go and get alone to be uh, secluded and to rest and to, to think about. He has lost John the Baptist. He tries to go to that secluded place we read, but the, the crowds see him and they follow him. Um, they're by the Sea of Galilee on a mountain near Tiberias. If you go to Israel today, I stayed in Hotel Tiberias right there on the, the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and got up early in the morning uh, I, I had said that I was going to journal on my trip to Jerusalem, so I uh, got up each morning and I would go out and look, and I saw the sun come up over the mountains on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and I wrote in my journal, Jesus, how many times did you sit here and watch that same sun come up over that mountain? Thank you for this great privilege you've given me. And I was just very, very blessed. Uh, near Tiberias, this is the time of Caesar Augustus. It's in the evening and he's tired. Jesus wants to be alone. He's done many miracles. He has taught many, many of his parables and many of his lessons. The Passover's near, and Jesus is taking his disciples to get away. The crowd follows him, and we see a little in, in this passage uh, our beginning of the 12 keys to effective ministry. Now, I know what that sounds like. That sounds like you can go to Mardell's and you get one of those 10 steps to the best life you can have. And they advertise that book that if you don't have this book, you're going to skip some of the steps and your life is just not going to be what it is. There's a lot of keys to ministry in this passage. I don't claim to know them all. I don't have any kind of, uh, you know, hold on these 12. But you walk with me and you tell me if they're not sitting in here. Every effective ministry you've been a part of has this been here. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. They reported to him all that they had done and taught. They had gone out and uh, shared the gospel. They had done miracles. Uh, dust your feet off if they don't hear your message. Stay in the house that, that you're at in the beginning if they do and leave a blessing there. You know, he said it's a time to come rest. I'll just interject in there. If you're in ministry, uh, take time and learn how to rest. Uh, one of the many, many failures that I did in early ministry is not knowing how to and not taking the time to rest. Uh, I, didn't, I just didn't think I needed it. When we're young, we're, we can just think we can go and do all kinds of things. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. Learn how to rest. If you don't know how, get with somebody that's been in the faith longer than you and let them share with you. They needed to rest. <clears throat> they got in the boat, tried to get away. The people saw them. They actually got there ahead of them. They're waiting on Jesus and the disciples when they get there, a large crowd. And here's the first key, though. It said, when Jesus saw the crowd, he could have said, oh, no. Now, let's all admit something. We have certain people that when the caller ID on our phone shows who they are, come on, y'all admit it. Does anybody want to stand up and point to somebody here tonight that they're one of them? You think, oh, no, not again. I'll get back with them. I'll let them leave a voice message. If I answer that, I'm going to be on the phone for an hour and a half. In our office building, there used to be a sweet, sweet old lady that she would call, and I won't tell you your name, but she would call, and it was an hour at least. And this lady didn't have to breathe. She talked 
over and over again. You could say, yes, hello, how are you? Yes, I agree with you. And it didn't matter because she never took a breath. And we would always try to give that to the newest member on the staff. Uh, let me transfer you to so-and-so. And, they, and then about 45 minutes later, they come dragging into our office. Have you ever talked to this lady? And she was sweet. And it was a privilege to talk to her. But you know what? We get tired, don't you? Carrie, you get tired, don't you? You get tired, don't you? Jesus was tired. His apostles were tired. And Jesus could have said, we went here to get away from the crowd. He could have said, I love them, but, and I know I'm the son of God, but, and he could have said all kinds. Notice what it said. When Jesus saw him, he said, I have compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. And that's number one. Any ministry that you, man, woman, or child, any ministry you're part of, if you don't have compassion, quit. That compassion is going to get tried. Well, what about people that use you? They're always going to be there. But don't worry about that. Don't let that taint the ministry that God's given you. One of the keys of effective ministry is you cannot lose your compassion. You've got to have compassion for the lowly the unlovable sometimes. You gotta have compassion for those that nobody else sees. You gotta have the compassion for the ones that called you 17 times last week. Don't let that compassion be killed or squelched in your life. Jesus had compassion on them for he saw them like a sheep without a shepherd. Many times in my life, I remember a couple asked me one time years ago, could you come to our home and visit us? I said, sure, I was visiting several people. Nine o'clock at night, they lived out at the lake in another town. And I thought, oh, I'm tired. I haven't seen my family, uh, but I told them I would come. So I drove all the way out there. I knocked on the door. I said, I'm sorry, it's late. And they said, we can't believe you're here. Can we invite this couple over? They need to talk with you so badly. They invited them over and this low-voiced young man walked in. He came, put his arms around me and he said, I haven't forgotten Anybody ever done that to you? And you think, I don't have any idea who you are. He said, you picked us up on that old school bus every Tuesday night and he gave Christmas presents to my family and I haven't forgotten that. We had a great visit and I was so glad that I went and visited there. Don't let compassion be robbed from you for any reason. That's number one. And then number two, when it's already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away. How effective do you think it is for us to try to tell Jesus what to do? The disciples are gonna tell Jesus how to do ministry. <clears throat> Jesus, we've gotten together, we've had a caucus and we agree that we're out here all by ourselves, and there's not a McDonald's, they've already closed. And there is a McDonald's, by the way, in Jerusalem and you can't miss it. I'm not sure they're hamburgers or beef. I'm not sure what kind of food that you're eating, but they could have said, uh, <clears throat> they said to Jesus, look, it's late, it's desolate. You need to, and always be careful telling the supreme creator of the universe, almighty God himself, what to do. You need to send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. <clears throat> Number two is, it's not our ministry. We get caught up sometimes and we put labels on it. We say, my ministry, my ministry, our ministry. And yes, that's okay because God knows our heart. 
we're not claiming we own it, it belongs to us, but we're saying we're a part of it. But we've got to be careful because sometimes we act like it's our ministry, don't we? All of us are humans and we get caught up and we have to make decisions quickly. We have to be assertive, but we've got to be careful to realize it's not our ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. It's God's ministry inviting us to join him, human instruments, and that's an amazing thing. But that's number two. It's not our ministry. In, uh, in, the third one is, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. In one of the other gospels in Matthew, uh, excuse me, in Luke, I love it because he turns to Philip. Philip's the one doing the talking. Lord, you need to send them away. They need to go buy food. And he just turns to Philip and said, they don't need to go away, okay? And then he said to Philip, you give them something to eat. I love that because it's just telling and showing Philip, uh, no, they don't need to go away. What you're saying is wrong, but Philip, you just give them something to eat. And he was so far from being able to do that. He had no idea how it was gonna take place. And that's number three. We often don't have what's needed on our own. Sometimes we don't even join ministry to serve because we think, I don't have anything to bring. My gifts are too small. My talents are too little. Please don't ever listen to that. There's a, young, there's a man named Gerald, not young, he's my age. Crippled, he'd had a stroke all on his one side. He came further to our church that I pastored before than anybody else other than people that came from out of town. He came further, got a ride and came further to church and he was always there early. And at the end of the service, uh, Gerald was crippled. He'd uh, he actually fallen out into a highway before, got hit by a car because he couldn't get out of the way. And, but you know what, Gerald, every time when I got through preaching, he would open the back door, those two back doors, so the people could go and leave that way. Insignificant to the world. Insignificant to the world. But he was so faithful at that. I could count on him every Sunday going back there, hobbling back to the back and opening those doors. Gerald passed away of his illnesses. Um, and I, I got to share about him that in the Psalms, the Bible says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And I believe Gerald's opened some doors in heaven right now. And I can't wait to see him. Don't think you come with too insignificant gifts or talents. You can be used as greatly as anyone else. That's number three. We often don't have what is needed for the ministry. Sometimes we barely, barely have anything to give, but that's all God asks. Uh, Jesus turns to him in Matthew 14, 16. He said, you don't need to go away. The disciples are saying, you need to go send them away. No, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. That was a big test. And I think Philip's going, now what do I say? Now what do I do? And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? He's saying, it'd probably take that much money to feed all these people. How are we gonna do that? Where are we gonna get the food? And he said to them, and this is number four, and this is one, boy, I need to remember so, so much. Jesus said, what do you have? Isn't that plain? Isn't that simple? We don't have what it's going to take to feed these people. Well, Jesus, knowing what he's going to do in a few minutes, but he said, what do you have? What do you have? I'm reminded oftentimes of the most effective times in my life when I saw the Lord work in ministry. It's when I had nothing to give. 
some that, that get to share in the pulpit oftentimes. I'll tell you what happens. Corey does over here. Who else? There, uh, James Arnold back there. I'll tell you what happens, I promise you. There are times when we come up to the pulpit and we think, I have prepared. I am ready. I am going to knock it out of the park. And we preach that message that we've prepared, and it's crickets. I mean, nothing. There's no movement, nothing in people's lives. I mean, people are checking their watch and going to sleep, and, and we think, uh, what, what in the world's happening? A young preacher went up in the pulpit one day, full of himself, and, and uh, he just bombed. He just bombed. He came out of the pulpit, and an old preacher walked up to me, and he said, son, if you'd have gone up in the pulpit the way you came out of the pulpit, it would have been different while you were in the pulpit. Anytime we ever enter the pulpit or we teach a Sunday school class, even of little children, or any form of ministry, given a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, we better be humble because we really don't have anything to give. But Jesus said, well, what do you have? And you remember what they had. There's a little boy that has five loaves and two fish. Do you remember how they recognized and they knew that? There's a guy named Andrew. Andrew comes up and said, there's a little boy, five loaves and two fish. You know, I love that about Andrew. He's called Brother Andrew a lot of times. Every place in the scripture that we read about Andrew, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. He brought the Greeks to Jesus. We would see Jesus. Andrew's bringing a little boy and his lunch to Jesus. Ministries are called Brother Andrew because they're introducing people to Jesus. We need to be like Andrew. Number fourth is remembering Jesus doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't have. I think one of the biggest problems we have is we compare ourselves with one another. Uh, there's nobody I know of that can teach the, the scripture like Tommy does in our country. He's unique. Nobody's going to be able to replace him. We won't get another Tommy Nelson. And so we don't need to pattern ourselves and say, I got to be just like him. I, I grew up, I want to be like Billy Graham. Well, God showed me in a hurry. You are no Billy Graham. He didn't want me to be. He asked, not what you don't have, but what do you have? A man older than I am not long ago said, can I have lunch with you? I said, sure. He said, I'm worried. I don't have a testimony. Do you know Jesus? Yes. When did you come to know Jesus? He told me and he started telling me about all of it. And about 10 minutes later, I said, that's your testimony? He just had never shared it with anybody before. He thought he didn't have anything to give and he had perfect message to give. So we are not held accountable of what we don't have. God wants to use, even no matter if it seems like it's little, God wants to use what we do have. Remember, a little with Jesus is a lot. He didn't have to have big stuff to get his work done. So he says, uh, when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. One of the other gospels says, and this is your fifth one, Jesus said, bring it to me. How many of us start a ministry and we have a program and we brainstorm and get ready, Ashley, for tomorrow morning. That's, our, that's on the docket for us. We're gonna brainstorm about something coming up. And it's good to do that and pray about it and look forward to it. And, and, uh, but really, we do all the, the, the preparation and the logistics and we think it's gonna cost this much and we'll have to have this many volunteers and we gotta get it scheduled and we gotta... And then oftentimes we think, oh, God, here is our plan. Would you bless it? He loves us. He loves us. I know he does, but that's not the way that we ought to do ministry. 
we ought to start and say, we bow before you, Lord. We're little children. We don't know how to come out or go in, like Solomon said. But we ask you to use us in this ministry of reconciliation. Would you guide us in what to do? Would it be okay, Lord, to have a ministry in prayer uh, toward these group of people? Would you guide us as we think about it and talk about it here today? Would you put things on our heart? Would you guide us and remind us of your scripture so that we are true to the word? Dear Lord, would you show us what to do? He'll always do that. I've done it so backwards so many times. He loves us, and yeah, he might do some good things in that, but he'll never be what it could be. We gotta bring it to Jesus. Lord, I bring everything I have. We lay it down at the foot of the cross, and we ask you to make something beautiful out of it. So doing ministry, bring what you have to Jesus. Before you make all the rest of the plans, the logistics, count the cost, find out how much it's gonna take volunteer-wise. Before you do all those things, number five, prize, bring it to me. They took five loaves and they took two fish. And I love, I love what it said. There's a lad. There's a lad. We don't know who that little boy is. We don't know what his name was. I believe we'll probably see him in heaven. He's not famous. And yet he was used. We don't know where he got his lunch. Maybe his mom packed it for him. He was used to feed thousands of people through the hands of Jesus that day. Some people want to put the little children in cry rooms. Man, I've sent out my emails. You bring them right here. I can talk above them. If you feel like one of your children gets too rowdy, we've got a room right across the hall with a big screen. You can worship right along with us, and, but you bring them. I think one of the quickest answers that Jesus gave to his disciples were when the children were coming up, and I, I love little children. We've got that new grandson, and I could tell, talk to you for hours about him. He's so much fun, and He'd get to where he likes to reach up here on Papa's beard and get a hold of that. And those little ones don't think they can hurt you. You remember that? They don't think they can. And they find out about 10, you know, they hurt a little bit. But uh, I think children were in Jesus's lap and they were crawling all over him and he was laughing and giggling and playing with them. And the disciples said, Lord, you want us to stop these children from coming to you? I think one of the quickest answers Jesus gave was, don't you stop those children. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, Peter and James and John, the rest of you guys, unless you're converted and become like one of those little children, you're not gonna get there. I think he told them very, very quickly. So a little boy was used. Isn't that good? A little child used in the ministry. So number four is what do you have? Number five is bring it to Jesus. And the question comes, have you given everything to him? Have you brought everything you have to Jesus? That's all he asks. What does Jesus want from me? Everything. Everything you and I have is a gift from him anyway, Corinthians tells us. What do you have that has not been given to you? So it's all his at his disposal. And what does God want from you? He wants everything. He wants our whole life. Bring it to me. And number six is this, sometimes a little. Sometimes all we have is a little. It's not quantity. It is not doing big, innovative, new, exciting, cutting edge, state of the art. It's not that. Sometimes it's the simplest things. It's the simplest thing. 
a little girl came forward one Sunday night and told me, Mike, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. And she had the biggest tears that I've ever seen a little girl have or a little boy. I mean, they were huge. And I've told you before, I always wore cowboy boots back then. So when that little child would pray, those boots, the tears would hit my boots. And oh my goodness, it was just special. I'll never forget this one child named Jessica. She said, telling her family about what happened when she prayed and asked Jesus to come in her heart. She said, and yeah, my heart was beating and I wasn't even running. And I love that. (coughs) That's little, but that's a lot. That little child's witness of what Christ was doing in her life, better than the sermon I preached that night, I'll guarantee you. Verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. We ought to learn from that. That's about the number that a person can shepherd. Did you know that? When you get above 100, uh, you need help. You need help because you can't know. The scripture says to look well to the state of your flocks. And the Hebrew word actually means you've got to look close enough to recognize their face. You've got to know their face. And uh, Billy Graham said, everywhere he went around the world, people would walk up to him and say, do you remember me? And he would say, well, you've got two eyes and a nose. Uh, but he had seen millions and millions of people and couldn't remember them all. He commanded them to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties and then number seven. You can be sure ministry will not take place. Those of you here watching online, you can be sure ministry will not take place if number, number seven doesn't happen. He took the five loaves of two fish and looking up toward heaven He blessed the food and broke the loaves. Jesus must bless the ministry. Ministries that are alive and well and functioning and changing people's lives have the blessing and favor of God. If Jesus is not in it, if he does not bless it, it will not be blessed. Sometimes, now I understand a lot in the Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Uh, people will say, Mike, will you bless the food? Every time they say that, I think, I can't bless it. I can ask Jesus to. He's really the one to bless it. But I can say, bless you, food, but it doesn't do anything. He looked up to heaven. I always thought about this when I was a little boy. Why did Jesus open his eyes and look up when he was praying and we close our eyes and look down? You know why? Because we're going to be looking at our brother and our sister. We're going to be looking at the person sitting in front of us. We're going to be thinking about how cold it is in here, how hot it is. And we need to close off the rest of the world. Jesus didn't. He could look straight up to heaven to his father. And it says, he took the five loaves, two fish, looking up toward heaven. He blessed the food and broke the loaves. Blessing is what makes ministry. He thanked God for what they had. When Jesus had told Philip, you don't have to tell the people to leave. They don't have to leave. You give them something to eat. That was as far from Philip's understanding as anything could be. But in a few moments time, Philip was gonna see it live right in front of his eyes. Isn't that amazing? Jesus must bless it. The disciples didn't have anything to give. A little boy had a little bit that wouldn't be near enough to feed. But when Jesus blesses it, a little becomes a lot. And number eight, 
He kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. I think that's written so perfectly in Mark. He hands that bread out. He lifted it up and blessed it to, to the Father. Lord, Father, please bless this food. And he starts handing it to Philip and to the rest of the apostles and Peter and James and John. And, and he said he just kept handing it out. Now, there's only five loaves. There's only two fish, but he just keeps handing it out. He just keeps handing it out. Don't listen to those commentators. You can get some liberal commentators that say, oh, when that little boy became generous and he opened up his lunch, everybody else felt bad, so they just grabbed all the food and they, uh, that they had brought with them and shared it with everybody. No. Jesus did a miracle here, and he is giving it out. Now, could have Jesus said, be warmed and filled, and instantly everybody wasn't hungry anymore? He could have done that, Right? Jesus could say, I'm going to build my church. Boom, already done. But that's not the way he's chosen to. He's chosen to do a work. And here, he kept giving them to the disciples to set before him. That's why he said, you give, in Matthew 14, you give it to him. 2 Corinthians 5, the disciples share in the ministry. We are in the ministry of reconciliation. What is 1 Tim 2, 5? Those that are teach uh, um, to share with others that are able, faithful men who are able to, able to teach others also. We are to share the gospel. We are to give to others. Is it not amazing that God can use somebody like us? It really is. We don't have to be something special. We don't have to be an elite in the top one half of 1% of all that have ever lived. No, God says uh, that's a willing heart. I can use anyone. Whatever you have, give it all to me. And here, verse eight, the number eight is that Jesus wants to use us. Jesus has chosen to use human instruments. Song a long time ago, while walking on this earth, we are nothing in ourselves, but God's chosen to use us in his mighty plan. The master plan requires human instruments, but they must not ever glorify themselves. All the glory must be to the Lord. He has chosen to use people like you and me. There's going to be two people in heaven. We don't know their name. One of them's a little widow woman that Jesus said, you have more faith than I've seen in all the rest of Israel. There's another man. We don't know what his name was. And Jesus commended his great faith. Zacchaeus, a little guy. And God chose to see him. Jesus saw him in the tree. A tax collector, the world, most he, he was not a favorite of anybody. I'm not sure his own wife liked him very much, probably, because he'd kind of probably sold out uh, to the Romans and he was collecting money for them and he'd get a little on the side and not a very popular person there. Jesus saw him. The blind man on the side of the road, the lame man that when the, the, the angel came and swirled the water and somebody was healed, the first one, he never could get up fast enough. Nobody could put him in the water. That's who Jesus saw. Isn't it amazing? Jesus wants to use us. You young adults, you are so valuable to the church. I'm so grateful you're here. Please keep coming. Please bring many, many people uh, with you. Jesus wants and is using you already. And he wants to continue to use you more than you even know. Number eight is Jesus wants to use us. And you ought to put an exclamation point after that. Isn't that amazing? He kept giving to the disciples. I can just see that happening. 
Here, here's some bread, here's some bread, here's some bread. You passed out more than five, Jesus. Well, here's some more, here's some more, here's some more. And notice uh, the next thing. Number nine is, as the disciples obeyed Jesus. You want ministry that's blessed? Obey the word. Well, but no. If you want ministry that's blessed, obey what Jesus said. Had a speaker from Romania one time come, and it was right when the, the Romanians were given freedom out from underneath the uh, Russian oppression and the communist regime. I talked with a lady from there not long ago that left when she was nine years old, and I want to tell you something. She loves America. She loves food to eat and clothes to wear, and she does not take it for granted because she knew when they didn't have anything. But this man from Romania was very simple in his faith, and he showed some uh, pictures of thousands of people getting baptized in the river and thousands of people coming to his church. And they said, what did you do? He said, we read in the Bible that in the morning, Jesus got up and went on a mountain and prayed. So in the morning, we just got up and went on a mountain and prayed. In childlike faith, they searched the scriptures and just began to obey. And God started blessing them and bringing people there. (coughs) You want an effective ministry? Obey what the word says. That's number nine. Every effective ministry will have obedience to the word of God in it. We're not doing our own thing. We're doing what he told us to do. And then guys, number 10 is verse 42. Jesus has given it to the disciples. He could have just said, I'll give it to the people or abracadabra, you're all, you're all not hungry anymore. But he said, here, Kim and Cheryl, let me give you some. Go give it to them. Here, can I give you this? You go give it to them. He wants us to be involved in the ministry. I love the people that I get to share in ministry. I am content if those that I pray with and encourage and maybe help and lead just a little bit, if I could just look out of the closet and watch them succeed in the ministry, I am happy, I'm pleased. Because it's not about me and it's not about them really. It's about Christ being honored. They say, obey Jesus. Remember Hebrews says, after you've done the will of God, you inherit the promise. God rewards obedience. And guys, number 10, Let's be honest. When Corey again, I'm gonna pick on him and James and myself, whoever else might be able to preach or teach in the pulpit, we come up here sometimes and we feel like, you know, I've prayed and I've studied and I've got, I've got an outline here, but man, <laughs> this is not gonna be good. And when I, when I get home, my wife's gonna say, what was that? <laughs> And you get through and you say, in Jesus' name, amen. And people come up to you and say, I've never heard anything like that. God really spoke to me through his word tonight. You know why God does that? Sometimes just to pray. it's not us. Yes, we need to pray. We need to work. We need to study. We need to be true to the scripture. But the power to change someone's life is not in a speaker. It's in the message. This is the word of ministry. This is the word of salvation. The preaching of the gospel, God has placed the power to save people's lives. So just like Philip, when Jesus turned to him and said, you give him something to eat, Philip's going, how am I gonna do that? He sees Jesus can do anything. As they obeyed, that's number nine, 
there's got to be obedience in an effective, faithful ministry. Then number 10, a miracle takes place. Don't let anybody explain this away. People didn't pull out the rest of the food that they had hidden up at that time. No, a miracle takes place. Ministry in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is supernatural. It is a miracle. It is Christ Jesus touching the heart of a soul, piercing in between the joints and marrow, the soul and the spirit, convicting man of sin and drawing him to himself. A little child, a woman, a man, a family together. That is a miracle. Greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. It's not a healing like Tommy was talking about this morning. The greater works are sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And an alcoholic comes and he gets free of that alcoholism. He's not an alcoholic anymore. A drug addict comes and says, by God's grace, I'm not enslaved to that anymore. Someone with immoral thoughts is not bound by that anymore. That is the miracle of ministry. An old country, southern gospel song like we started with tonight. Thanks to Calvary, I don't go there anymore. Thanks to Calvary. He said, my little girl, we went to the house where we used to live. And my little girl ran and hid behind the door. And he took, took his little girl out and he said, honey, you don't have to be afraid anymore because you got a new daddy now. Thanks to Calvary, we don't live here anymore. Isn't that good? Number 10 is, in real ministry, a miracle takes place. It is supernatural. It's not an event, a program that you check the boxes, fulfill all the steps, and you see the product of your hard work. Ministry is something much above that. A miracle takes place. Verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. The uh, servant David said, my cup runs over. Isn't that just like the Lord? He said, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Jesus doesn't just answer our prayers. He usually answers more than we ask him to do. That's the way ministry is. There's an abundance. It's overflowing. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. A few moments earlier, they're all starving to death, wondering what they're gonna do for supper that night. Number 10, a miracle takes place. In real ministry, we've done these things before. God causes a miracle to take place. They picked up 12 baskets full, uh, full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. Most commentators say that this signifies uh, sometimes the five loaves, they say, signify the five, first five books of, of the law of the, of the Old Testament, signifying this was a Jewish crowd. He's gonna speak and do this miracle again in the Gentile region, he's gonna feed 4,000 of those men. They're gonna be Gentiles. He went to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. They picked up 12 baskets full, a lot of them symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And number 11, they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. The other gospels say, besides the women and children. In verse 11, in Jesus, when Jesus does ministry, there's always an abundance. In Jesus' ministry, there's always abundance. There's more than enough. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. There's more than enough. 
this story in the Gospel of John ends with a really important phrase. We've looked at Mark here tonight. Matthew and Luke uh, give some other insights. But in John, at the end of this story, it ends like this. Truly this was the prophet who is to come in the world. And number 12 is the work of Jesus in ministry leaves a witness. It leaves a witness. That grown man that came and put his arms around me and said, I haven't forgotten that old school bus that came and picked us up on Tuesday night and we did a craft and you gave us a hot meal and we had a Bible story and he was a little bitty boy then. Now he's a grown man, deeper voice than I am. I haven't forgotten. I had. But the ministry of Jesus always leaves a witness. It's always drawing. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Calvary is magnetized. It draws people to Jesus. That's why we preach the cross. We preach Jesus. There's a drawing power in him. You here tonight, wherever you're at, there's nothing different about me and you right now except I'm standing up. That's it. If you have any needs, you want somebody to pray with you, I'll stay here as long as you want to. Jesus is in this place. He can meet your need. He can give you direction in your life. I don't have all the answers. His word does. His spirit does. And we can join together asking him to give you those things. Let me go quickly over those 12 things and we'll be through. 12 keys to effective ministry are sitting in this story. I need to make sure today that I follow Jesus to do ministry, not, follow, not the other way around. Number one, I need to have compassion like Jesus does. If you've lost your compassion, get with somebody, repent, pray, ask the Lord to start over with you that you have a soft heart. I must acknowledge it's not my ministry. It is not my ministry. I must admit I don't have everything I need for the task. I am ill-equipped. I don't have all the equipment. I don't have all the talents. I don't have everything it takes for the ministry. I must admit I'm responsible not for what I don't have, but for what I do have. That's all Christ ever asked of us. The next one, I'm called to bring what I have been given to Jesus. Bring it all to him. Give them all, give them all, give them all to Jesus. Well, that's a 70s song. That goes way back, doesn't it? Uh, and that's what that song is saying. He just wants all of us. He wants us to give our all. What I do have, and don't forget this one, what you do have in the hands of Jesus is enough. What you do have in the hands of Jesus is enough. Jesus' blessing is the difference in ministry. If God's happy and Jesus shows favor, that ministry will grow and bear fruit. God uses human instruments. Is that not amazing? He uses people like you and me. Obedience is rewarded as we obey him. That man, we went up on a mountain and prayed early in the morning and God blessed their childlike faith. Ministry is a miracle. It truly is a miracle to see the church at work. God always blesses abundantly. Our cup runs over. And then finally, in a borrowed ministry, and that's all it is for us, we've borrowed this, God gets the glory and a good witness will follow. He'll use that ministry, whether it's children, women, men, whatever it is, he'll use that ministry to draw people to himself. 12 effective keys of ministry. 
if you see me <coughs> not being faithful to one of those 12s, you come tell him. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you for this great message of passage of the scripture that the message of Jesus that's there that it's not just a miracle for us to look at and say wow that's pretty cool he can multiply bread and fish and make it not run out and man that's great but Jesus isn't the greatest showman it's not a circus it's not a performance he desires a relationship and ministry, Lord, all of us in this building here tonight, these that are coming forward right now to lead us in our closing song, that's part of the ministry. They bring what they have to you. Everyone in this room tonight, no matter who we are, we have part in your ministry. If we're a believer, what you've given us, Lord, you want us to bring to you, ask you to bless it. Father, please do that. Bless the churches in our land to so faithfully be salt and light that people around this country would say, I've got to have something better. And they'll look on the hill, a city set on a hill, and say, I'm gonna go ask them what they have. Lord, you could cause revival in this country. You could start it in one second. We pray, would you please do that again? And Lord, whatever ministry we're involved in, keep us in check. Remind us it's your ministry, it's your blessing, it's your miracle, and you get the glory. And what a privilege it is for you letting us join in this ministry with you. Thank you for this passage in Mark. Let it be on our heart as we leave here tonight. I pray in Jesus' name.